Well, in preparation for the uh, sermon today, uh, we're going to read chapter 40 in Genesis, Genesis chapter 40, before our pastor Mark comes. It's on page 33 in one of the church Bibles in the back, if you have one of those. Genesis 40. Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. They continued some time in custody. And one night they both dreamed. The cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, each his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked the Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, Why are your faces downcast today? They said to him, We've had dreams, and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell them to me. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream there was a vine before me, and on the vine there were three branches. And as soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, This is its interpretation. The three branches are the three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift your head and restore you to your office, and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly. When you were his cupbearer, only remember me when it is well with you, and please do me the kindness and mention me to Pharaoh, and so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing that they should put me into this pit. When the chief cupbearer saw that the interpretation was favorable, excuse me, the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream. There were three cake baskets on my head, and in the uppermost basket there were all sorts of baked goods for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. And Joseph answered and said, This is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat the flesh from you. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand, but he hanged the chief baker, as, Fa as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, 
but forgot him. May the Lord bless his reading, the reading of his word. Well, one more quick word of welcome, and that's to our brother Jay Shreve and his wife Rachel. Thankful that you all are with us this morning. Let's pray together as we get into God's word. Father, thank you for being the God of providence. Thank you for being the maker in the midst of the mess. The mess that our sin has created has not stopped your purpose to save and redeem and restore the creation that has been spoiled. And we thank you that in this story we get a glimpse of that providence, that powerful, perplexing, oftentimes providence, but always good, always for a purpose, always to a greater end. So encourage us this morning, especially those of us who find ourselves in a season of waiting, of questioning, of doubting perhaps, of struggle. Pray that you would meet us this morning with your comfort and your encouragement through your scriptures. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this chapter begins and ends in the same place. That is, Joseph toiling away in prison with no prospect of ever being released. What is God up to when he takes us and he makes us wait for deliverance? Why would a loving God who has all power and who is able to deliver us out of pain so often choose to leave us stuck in a painful experience of suffering when he could so swiftly and easily solve all our problems for us? You ever had that question? Ever wrestled with that? Well, Genesis 40 isn't about some new suffering for Joseph. It's about the same old suffering that just keeps on keeping on long after we think it should be over. And if you've never found yourself in that place, you most likely, if you live long enough, will find yourself in that place where you are waiting, hoping, praying, enduring for a long time, and you begin to get tired and discouraged about waiting for God to bring to fruition his plans and his purposes from the way that you can perceive them. You might feel that God has placed you in a prison and just forgotten about you. Perhaps you too have had to endure a series of false dawns, these glimmers of hope that you thought things were finally changing and that God would deliver you, only to have those hopes dashed again and again and again. That's where Joseph is. We're making our way chapter by chapter through this last part of Genesis 37 through 50 and looking at the life of Joseph. This is sermon number four in that series, and we're looking at Genesis 40 this morning. Here's the main idea. It is appropriate for us to desire God's deliverance, but we must be willing to wait on God's timing. It is appropriate for us to desire God's deliverance, but we must wait on God's timing. So I have two things I want to tell you that, we have, that you must do when deliverance is delayed, and three things you have to remember. Okay, so two things we have to do when deliverance is delayed, and three things we have to remember. 
And we see this in the life of Joseph in Genesis chapter 40. So let's start with the two things that we have to do when deliverance is delayed. Here's the first one. Move in love toward others. Move in love toward others. Now, if you're like me, this is usually the first thing to go when we're encountering suffering. We are not thinking about other people. We are thinking about ourselves. Suffering has a tendency, I'm sure you've experienced this, to turn us in on ourselves. Our fears and our worries become so all-consuming that they leave us with little time or energy to think or worry about others. We want others to ask us how we're doing, but the last thing we want is the burden of someone else's troubles. The last thing that I'm, perhaps this is a confession of my own sin and weakness, it is, the last thing I'm likely to do in a frustrating situation is to ask what God is up to and how I might be enabled to serve and love others more effectively because of the painful circumstance in which I find myself. And yet this is exactly how the Apostle Paul taught us to think in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 when he said that God comforts us in all of our affliction so that we might be made into comforters, that we might comfort others in all of their affliction. And this is what we see modeled in Joseph's life. I don't know about you, but when my hopes are disappointed, I can tend to withdraw into myself and retreat into my own shell of self-pity. When our expectations in life get disappointed, we can become frustrated, code word, angry, and replay in our heads all the ways that people have failed to serve and love us. But this is not what Joseph does in the midst of his delayed deliverance. He rather uses it as an opportunity to move in love toward others. I want you to see this several times here. Look, first of all, at the opening of the chapter where we meet a cupbearer and a baker, both of whom have committed an offense against the Pharaoh. And so they're in jail alongside Joseph. In verse 2, the Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the cupbearer and the chief baker, and he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard. And who is working for the captain of the guard now? Joseph is working for the captain of the guard. And so Joseph is with them, verse 4. And then we get this report, verse 5. One night they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker, each his own dream and each with its own interpretation. And when Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. Now, is Joseph troubled? Yeah, he's troubled. He's in jail, falsely accused of rape, doesn't deserve to be there. And yet he's exercising, like we saw a few weeks ago, he's exercising faithful stewardship. He's, he's blooming where he's planted. He's doing the work of God no matter where he finds himself. And he's exercising faithful oversight uh, that the captain of the guard put him in charge of. So he's visiting his prisoners like he should. But he notices that they're troubled. Then verse 6, when Joseph came to them in the morning, saw that they were troubled, verse 7, so he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, why are your faces downcast today? Now this isn't the only example we see of, of Joseph moving in love toward others. He, he sees that they're troubled. He sees that their faces are downcast. He's concerned about their well-being. Look at verses 14 and 15. Joseph says, Only remember me when it's well with you, and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh, and so get me out of this house. 
We'll come back to that later. But notice, he's asking for reciprocal kindness. He's shown these prisoners kindness, and now that they're going to report on their dreams to Pharaoh, he is going to, he's asking them to give them, give him the same kindness. So, we also see this in verses 20 to 23 near the end of the chapter. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position, just as Joseph had interpreted, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. And when he hanged the chief baker, as Joseph had interpreted to them, yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him, which is not what Joseph did. So Joseph is is moving in love toward these fellow prisoners. He's recognizing they're troubled. He's showing pity to them. He's asking about their condition. Why are they so downcast? He's showing kindness to them. He's remembering them. He's not forgetting about them. He's caring for them. And they forget him. They forget him. Now, let's talk about this dimension of love because it's important. Because sometimes when we're suffering and we move in love toward others, it results in greater suffering. Joseph is having to suffer even more for the way he is extending himself in love toward these prisoners. He, he interprets their dreams. He, he gives them the report that God gave him about them. He cares for them. He's troubled for their condition. He's concerned about them. He shows kindness to them, and they forget him. Now listen, as you extend yourself in love towards others, especially in the midst of suffering, you will be hurt. People will not reciprocate. They will forget you. Because people are fickle and fallen and we're self-interested. Most people don't care about people. They use people but love anyway, love anyway. Because to not love, even opening yourself up to the possibility of being hurt by that love, will be worse than not loving at all. Why do I say that? C.S. Lewis has a great quote on this in his book, The Four Loves. I want to share it with you this morning. He says, to love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable, end quote. A broken heart is better than an unbreakable heart. The choice is yours. So Joseph here models moving in love toward others in the midst of our suffering. That's one thing we must do as well. Second thing we must do is move in faith toward God. Don't, Don't just move in love toward others, but move in faith toward God. We see Joseph doing this. Look at verse 8. Hearing about these dreams that the cupbearer and the baker have, Joseph says to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. 
And then we see Joseph's moving toward faith in God in verse 9 as well. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said, In my dream there was a vine before me. And then he recounts the dream in verses 10 through 13. And then verses 16 through 19 give us the baker's dream and his interpretation. So what, 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 what's to learn here? What are we learning here? We're learning that while Joseph is languishing in prison with, with no hope of being released, he's doing the, the two things that God would require of any, any of us in any situation of life, which is to love him and love others. That's what he's doing. He's, he's, he's loving his fellow prisoners and he's moving in faith toward God. He's actually with these prisoners recognizing I can't interpret these dreams. God alone has the power to interpret these dreams. And he goes to God. Now, Joseph should have lost faith in God by this point. Didn't the dreams God gave him land him in a pit and eventually in slavery? Didn't his obedience to God land him in jail? Would it not have been tempting for him to lose faith? I mean, he should have resigned from dream interpretation ministry a long time ago. Doesn't he know the track record here? Every time I interpret dreams, something bad happens. Wouldn't you I mean, give yourself a second thought? Maybe I shouldn't interpret these dreams. Because the last time and the time before that that I interpreted dreams, bad things happened. Why does he go on interpreting the dreams because he trusts God he trusts God he knows that whatever that dream reveals and whatever results from the giving of the interpretation of that dream will ultimately be for his good and God's glory I mean he should have been made cynical and selfish and how easy it would have been for Joseph to grow resentful toward God for putting him in such a difficult situation and then keeping them there all the while he's trying to be faithful. But we learn a lot here about what it means to move in faith toward God and how we help each other in the midst of our sufferings. Listen, brothers and sisters, the greatest way you can serve each other in your suffering is to help each other move toward God in the midst of that suffering. This is what the cupbearer and the baker are receiving from Joseph. This is the kind of ministry they're receiving. Hey, let's go to God about this. Hey, let's speak to the Lord about this. I can't tell you how valuable it is and how encouraging it is to faith to have brothers or sisters move toward me or, you, or even toward you who have experienced this and exercise faith in God together. Why not when you hear of a brother or sister suffering, why not pray with them? On the spot. If you learn of something after this service in, a, in the life of a brother or sister, why not stop and move toward faith in God in the moment? Why not just, don't just, I'll pray for you later. That might need to happen if a kid's slapping you on the leg or something's going on around the building or whatever. You know, it's not always easy to do that. But if there's time and space, do it. Move in faith toward God. Don't just tell them you'll pray for them. Pray for them. Go to God with them. That's what Joseph is doing with these men. And notice the integrity that he retains in his life, even in the midst of all this dream interpretation. He is willing to speak good news, and he's willing to give bad news. 
And this is what he does. He gives good news to the cupbearer. He gives bad news to the baker. The cupbearer receives a favorable review, and the baker received an unfavorable one. And this, too, is evidence of Joseph's faith in God, isn't it? He'll tell the truth no matter what. No matter what. How easy would it have been to compromise the interpretations for his own benefit? Wouldn't it? That would have been such a temptation. But he doesn't do it. He told the truth to both men regardless of personal advantage. And that's what faith in God does. Faith moves toward God and then tells the truth about whatever the situation is, the good and the bad. In fact, this is what it means to to have faith in God in the first place. Do you know that in order to move in faith toward God, to exercise faith in order to be saved, we have to hear good news and bad news. We'll talk about that a little bit more later on. So those are two things to do that we see in Joseph's life. We see him moving in love toward others, and we see him moving in faith toward God. And that's what we too need to do in the midst of our suffering. So when you're suffering, when you're going through a season, let those things be remembered. Call them back to remembrance. Let me love others. Let me trust God and move in those directions. In addition to two things to do, there are also three things to remember. And we're going to bounce out of Genesis 40 a little bit and go to some other passages of Scripture and just talk generally about things to remember when deliverance is delayed. And I've got three things that we need to remember because these things that we, we, we think about will drive that trust and drive that love. See, you can't get to be a loving person in the midst of suffering or a trusting person in the midst of suffering unless certain things are filling your mind. Certain truths about God from his word are, are, are taking captive, to use the language of 2 Corinthians 10, the, the, the fleshly thoughts that would normally preoccupy our minds. So we have to have the, the weapons of our warfare which are divine and that are able to conquer strongholds, as Paul says, so that we can extend ourselves in love toward God and extend ourselves in trust or love toward others and trust toward God. So here's three things to remember. Number one, embrace a Godward purpose. I hesitated calling this sermon delayed deliverance because of this quote. One writer said, unbelief talks of delays. Faith knows that 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 properly, there can be no such thing as a delay. Meaning it's all under God's sovereignty. God's not delaying anything he wants to give Joseph, but in Joseph's experience, he's experiencing some serious delays. But he's right. Faith knows that everything that God is doing has a purpose behind it. That's the point. So when deliverance is delayed, don't lose heart. And the way you don't lose heart is to realize that there is a purpose behind what you're experiencing, even though God's kindness sometimes feels like God's cruelty. You may not understand why you still need to be in the pit, why you need to remain in the metaphorical jail, but God does. From God's perspective, if there were a better circumstance for your life than the one in which you are presently living, divine love would have put you there. 
There's a number of texts that we could refer to, and I want to point a few of them out. First of all, Psalm 66, verses 10 through 12. This helps us remember God's purpose in the midst of our suffering. For you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. You brought us into the net. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water, yet you have brought us out to a place of abundance. Could they have gotten to that place of abundance had they not gone through being tested as silver, brought through the net, the crushing burden on your back, letting men ride over your heads, going through fire and water? No. God had a purpose in all that they were experiencing so that they might be brought into a place of abundance. Romans chapter 5, verses 3 to 5. Not only that, Paul says, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Here's crazy man talk. This, nobody talks this way. Knowing that suffering, here's why he can rejoice, because he understands there's a purpose. What's the purpose? Suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope doesn't put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. This man thought deeply about God's purpose in suffering. He didn't just say, well, suffering produces endurance. No, he said, what does endurance produce? Oh, it produces character. Oh, what does character produce? Oh, it produces hope. Oh, I get it. I may not understand what God is doing, but this much I know, he is, he is working in me endurance and character and hope and love. I rejoice in my sufferings. That's how Paul thinks. James thinks a similar way. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Count it all joy, my brother. See, these apostles are crazy. They don't get it. They don't get it. We're supposed to be conf- our, confine our joy to our circumstances. That's the way the American way of life is the culture says you can't be happy about bad things happening no you can't if your joy's in god count it all joy my brothers when you meet trials of various kinds why james verse three for you know see there we have to know certain things that the testing of your faith that's what we're undergoing produces steadfastness same thing paul said in romans five it's endurance it's perseverance Let steadfastness then have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. See, this shows up again and again and again. We don't persevere in faith unless we get afflicted. This is why the psalmist says, It was good that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes, that I might learn how to walk with you. Because I don't naturally gravitate toward God persevere in faith without that faith being tested and tried. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 16 through 18. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light momentary affliction. (laughs) That's the way Paul thinks about a whole life of suffering. Is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So embrace a Godward purpose for suffering. It is intended to produce endurance, steadfastness, character, hope, and joy in God's people. And God is working within us in a way that's incomparable to the suffering that we are experiencing. The good that he is bringing out of it when it's weighed in the balance with the affliction that it took to get it will be overwhelming. We'll say, 
wow, look what you did, God. You produced all of that in me through that little season of 80 years of my life, or 90 or 100 or 20 or however long God gives us. He's able to get it done. And then we enter into joy, into life itself, in the presence of God, and we're made fit for that by the fellowship of Christ's sufferings that we've experienced in this life. So embrace a Godward purpose. That's the first thing to remember. Second thing to remember is maintain a God-given perspective. Maintain a God-given perspective. Now, this is a very common temptation for us as God's people. When we encounter suffering, and especially when that suffering is prolonged and deliverance appears to be delayed, we begin to think what? God's not paying attention to me. God's not thinking about me. God, much like the cupbearer and the baker, forgets. He forgets that I'm here. He doesn't know about it or he doesn't care about it. And Isaiah 49 verses 13 to 16 was written in the Bible so that you could not believe that lie. Others may forget you in your suffering. God will never forget you in your suffering. Isaiah 49, verses 13 through 16. Sing for joy, O heavens, and exult, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing. For the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. But Zion said, this is God's people, the Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. Here's God's response. Can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb. So he pulls the most immediate, relevant example. If there's anybody in all the world who would not forget someone, it's a mother who's nursing their child. I mean, we've heard about moms forgetting babies, you know, at home or in the car or at the grocery store or whatever, but not while you're nursing. I mean, they're attached to you. You can't necessarily forget about them. But Isaiah even envisions a, 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 a scenario in which that could happen. Notice what he says. Even these may forget. A mother could forget her nursing child. She'd have no compassion on the son of her womb. Even these, even the mom who loves her child so much that they would die for that child. You mothers know that. The strength of that love is no match for the strength of God's love. Even these may forget, Isaiah says, quoting the Lord, yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. These are the sorts of things that Joseph believed as he maintained a God-given, God-given perspective on his suffering. He knew that God wouldn't forget him. He knew that God was up to something in the midst of his delayed deliverance. Thirdly and finally, believe a God-centered promise. So we've talked about two things we have to do when deliverance is delayed. Move in love toward others, move in faith toward God. And there's three things that we need to remember as we're doing that. One is we got to have God's purpose on our mind, that he's working in the midst of all of this. We also need to have a perspective on this, that he's not going to forget me. And then finally, we need to believe 
a God-centered promise. Remember in Luke chapter 23, Jesus is hanging on the cross. And there he's crucified between two thieves. And the thief, one of the thieves is just eaten up with self-justification. And another thief is eaten up with brokenness over his sin. And that thief who's eaten up with brokenness over his sin turns to Jesus, who he knows is innocent, and says two words to him. Remember me. Remember me. Just as Joseph relied on the cupbearer and the baker to remember him for his salvation. This is, a, this is a picture of what we need to be to be saved, what we need to do to be saved. We get saved by Jesus remembering us, by us entrusting ourselves to him and saying, I am guilty, I should be in jail forever. In fact, I should have the fate of the cupbearer, not the cupbearer, the baker. I should have the fate of the baker. That's who we all are by nature. We should, we, 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 God owes us the destiny of the baker. We have sinned against him times without number. We have gone on in that sin. We deserve to have our heads cut off and hanged on a tree. But instead, God gives us in Christ the fate of the cupbearer. We get brought out of prison and brought into right relationship again with the king through the sacrifice of another. Instead of us receiving the sentence of death, Christ receives the sentence of death. He is the one who is inflicted with the fate that we deserve separation from God, punishment for sin under the wrath of God. We deserve the fate of the cupbearer, but in Christ we have the, we deserve the fate of the baker, but in Christ we have the fate of the cupbearer. That's the glorious gospel that Jesus remembers us. And he's not a man in the sense of the cupbearer and the baker who just forgot as good as the motives were on the part of the chief cupbearer, he forgot. Jesus is not like that. When we ask him to remember us for our salvation, he doesn't forget. He will remember us forever and ever and ever and ever. And it's that gospel, knowing that Christ will remember me. He remembers me right now. My name is written in the Lamb's book of life from the foundation of the world. That's what that thief didn't understand in the moment. The thief didn't understand. He, Jesus could have turned to him and said, Brother, I've been remembering you for all eternity. You've been in my book for all eternity. You're one of the sheep I came for. I got you. I got you. And that's what we have to remember too. If we remember that Jesus will not forget us. And how do we know he won't forget us? Because in the very midst of his greatest anguish and suffering on the cross, he is willing to extend pardon to thieves. If he loves us that much, he will not forsake us in our sufferings because he remembered us in the midst of his greatest suffering.
So that's what we have to believe, brothers and sisters. It's the gospel of Christ's remembrance of us that he won't forget us, though men do, that will enable us to persevere when deliverance is delayed. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much this morning for the opportunity to spend time in your word, to be reminded again of your purposes in our suffering. Help us, God, to, in the midst of our suffering, move in love toward each other and to move in faith toward you, all the while being sustained and motivated by your purposes the perspective that you give and the promises that you offer to us. Sustain us, God, and we will be sustained. Do not forsake us according to your promise. Never, you've said that you will never leave us. You will never forsake us, and we hold to that. Pray for brothers and sisters here this morning who are in a season of waiting where we all find ourselves from time to time. May you give them fresh courage and hope and endurance in the midst of their waiting. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. We pray this in his name. Amen. Let's stand together. Be still. Be still, my soul, when dearest friends Um, tonight 
we get to remember him who never forgets us. Join us at the Lord's Supper tonight. That's why, this is why this gift is given to us as a church, is uh, Jesus will always remember us, but we don't always remember him, and that's a shame. But he has given us a gift to help us remember him, and that is the Lord's Supper tonight. So join us at 5 o'clock here in this uh, worship center for that. Also, following the Lord's Supper tonight, we have a graduate reception. We have five high school graduates uh, um, at HBC, so we'll be honoring them uh, afterward in the fellowship hall around 6.30. Also, VBS this week. Be praying, be participating if you can. June 5th through the 8th, 6 to 8 p.m. at night down on West 5th Street at Justin and Rebecca Klein's house. Uh, ages 3 through 11, if you have kids who are in that age group, you can participate. We want you there. Okay, don't just think of it as a West Fifth Street outreach, although it is, uh, but participate and, and, and have your kids come. And if you're 12 and up, you can help. So come and be a part of uh, VBS this week for as many nights as you're available. May God's grace be with you and may he sustain you, giving you endurance, comfort, and good hope through his grace. We're dismissed.